This is Adam from Unstoppable Acting Studio in Scotland. And this is Jared from Actors Approach in America. And together, we are two guys talking craft. A one-hour podcast where we talk about the craft of acting. Explore the various acting techniques from all the master acting teachers. And help you grow your acting skills. Two guys talking craft. Two guys talking craft. It sounds much better when Adam says it. Yeah, it does. This is Two Guys Talking Craft. Hey, and we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Two Guys Talking Craft with me, Adam, and in a second, my good friend, Jared Kellner, will be in the house, and uh, we will be very much discussing, dissecting, exploring the world of Uta Hagen once again. We've been looking through the book Respect for Acting. We've been looking at it in quite some detail, and we're now at the stage where we are uh, looking at the object exercises. We looked at them last week, we started to, and we're going to continue on that this week. He's coming. He's coming. There he is. There's hey. that guy. How are you? How's it going, Janet? Good. I feel like I'm dark. Put up a little bit of light. Bit of light. I, I, I'm, I'm surprisingly, I've got perfect light. Apologies if you are joining us uh, uh, just slightly later than the scheduled time of nine o'clock. Um, I had yeah, just uh, not been as organised as I, I imagined I would be. Yeah, so nine o'clock time, and I've been running around, and you might spot the sooner I've got I've got a little cut on my eye oh. here. You see it? Now maybe yeah, ten. There's blood everywhere, like. Um, but no, there's a little bit of blood. But um, I was helping assemble a garden table, and um, I got the table just smacked back and caught my eye. So I mean, people that are watching on the Instagram live right now, it looks pretty minor. But for the purpose of the podcast, can you like make it out like it's a big injury so people think I mean, I'm very it's, it's significantly going to alter the entire. Uh, shape and feeling of your face. It's, uh, I mean, this is a devastating yeah. blow to your manhood, is really what it yeah. is. Scarface, right? <laughs> That's what they're going to call me now after this. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're not watching on the Instagram live, this is a, a huge wound right now, but I'm going to struggle through for the love of and passion of acting, Jared, and I'm going to get through this uh, despite my injury. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I've got myself shaven, right? I mean, that's what it looks like. It's a tiny little <laughs> nick. Yeah. Do, do they make in uh, Scotland that that uh, styptic pencil? Do you know what that is? The styptic pencil. Uh, yeah, when you get a cut, it's like that little that, that white little stick that you rub uh, on yeah, birds, yeah. but it like it yeah. modifies it. Yeah, that's all you need. A little styptic pencil. <laughs> uh, nah. Yeah. No, it's really minimised the actual extent of the injury that, but. That's fine. That's fine. But how are you doing this what, today, Jared, for you? Today? Yeah, all good. How's it going? I'm good. How, how about you? Did you have a good day? Had a good day. It's, yeah, it's, it's been a busy one, but I'm all ready to make it a whole lot busier and uh, dive deep into these next few chapters of Uta Hagen's book. And um, yeah. as always, we're ambitious. We'll see how we get uh, through some of the stuff. But... Um, yeah, we got we got a ton to pack in tonight, right? So, yeah, um, exercise four, five, and six at least, right? F fourth wall endowment, uh, talking to yourself. Maybe we get to outdoors. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll see. 
we'll just see where the journey takes us, right? Um, and um, yeah, I was just mentioning to these guys at the start there. Um, we started our exploration into these object exercises last yeah. week. Last week's episode will explain a bit more about what their purpose is for and um, why she's presented these to actors. I mean, just really briefly, right? This is a set of exercises, in essence, that can be a daily practice for people. Um, yeah. There's the book right there. Um, the actors can pick up whether they're in a rehearsal room with people or whether they're on their own around about their, their house. And these are things that they can do, which Uta Hagen believes will keep them much more alive as actors, keep them much more open to possibilities um, when they are in a rehearsal room, when they are on stage. Um, and she's framed these, yeah. these several exercises, right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, completely. She, I was uh, earlier in the day, I, I went back on YouTube and I was watching the, uh, the video of uh, the Uta Hagen class that's posted up on YouTube. And she talks about, you know, the, doing these exercises as daily and regular practice when you're not actually in a performance is, that's the whole point. It's essential to do that because you don't want to first experience and try to explore when you're knee deep in rehearsal or you're actually performing some of the obligations that are required of you. She, she mentioned one play I, I can't remember who wrote it or, or the name of it, but the play starts off with um, a guy in the dark uh, trying to find something, uh, knocks a lamp over, like spills a, maybe a vase with some water. He's trying to find something, not wake up the neighbors, not wake up you know, the people in, in the apartment or downstairs. And like all these uh, conditioning forces that are all together. And if you don't have the practice and the expertise and the experience in dealing with this in a safe, relaxed, controlled environment, trying to thrust yourself into actually performing it well, believably on stage during the actual performance, you know, you're sabotaging yourself. So use all of these exercises as practice so that when you do uh, encounter these obligations on the, uh, the script, you could just flow right into it. Mm, and, and on top of that, you know, she mentioned these, this is a discipline, right? This is not necessarily something that's incredibly enjoyable sometimes to do, you know, like um, I think she even, one of, the, one of the exercises we're going to cover tonight, I think, is about five exercises in. She's like, this is maybe the first one you'll enjoy, <laughs> you know, like, um, so this is something yeah. that she, she looks, hey, it might feel a bit dull, feel a bit boring, feel a bit, ah, yeah. like, challenging, but it's going to add so much color to your life as an actor if you manage to follow uh, through with these things, you know. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're big fans of that, right? We're big fans of the, the discipline of the craft of acting and, Just you know, that sort of thing, the work, right? Yeah. It actually it makes me I, so you know in rereading this and in preparing for this session and just practicing these exercises, it's reigniting the, the the fire inside of me that I need to get back on stage again soon. I did I did a play in January, and I you know maybe I do you know one every you know six months or something like that. I'm um, uh, I'm super eager to uh, to get back on stage, re reinvigorated by um, um, you know by these exercises by the book. Yeah, hey, totally. I want to. Uh, I just want to. I want to deviate for just a second. So, sure. um, Indra, we uh, we we see you. Um, we're just Adam and I were talking about you um, in our preparation call. So, thank you once again for joining. Um, you are always. Uh, 
uh, always wonderful to see. So we're just, we'll, we'll connect with you um, offline. We just want to make sure that we're providing uh, you because you've been such a dedicated follower. Just make sure that we're providing you um, the support that you need in your journey. But it's good to yeah, see no, you. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it, Indra. Uh, every, everyone out there, but shout out to you, Indra, for uh, joining us. I think literally every two every guys talking about the episode, and we're at episode yeah. 22 right now. So, yeah, send it send the love, yeah, man. He's a super fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But no, but massive respect, and we we appreciate it, and yeah. um, we hope you get you get value from this time, man. We'll we'll, we'll be in touch. And yeah. thanks for the sympathy towards my injury, because <laughs> you've given me a lot more sympathy than Janet did, who just said it is a little you know Nick there, whereas you you have said you're sorry for for my massive gaping cut right now. I like I, I can't stress it enough on the podcast. I'm bleeding everywhere. Honestly, yeah, the man's uh, given me massive sympathy this evening. But there we go. No, I jest, I jest. It is just a nick. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Will we, will we jump in to the fourth wall, Jared? Yeah. Uh, I feel like a mime artist when I mention about the fourth wall. I feel like I want to, I don't know. Do the Can goals. you do that? Can no. you do the mime stuff? I wish I could. I wish yeah. I could, but no. Uh, it's not one, one of my talents uh, there at uh. all, but. You got a bit of the mime, the mime action going on. Yeah. I never studied it, but um, I could do a, enough to be convincing. With uh, I'm in a box, I'm in a room. Um, I could do a moonwalk. I've done that. That's a little mime work too. But uh, well, two guys talking mime is our next uh, spinoff, right? Well, we w we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> <laughs> Just be an hour of silence. Fourth wall. Um, I've had so many unique experiences with uh, fourth walls, both as an actor and as a director and as a teacher. Um, that we'll we'll talk about this, but I want to share um, several like really specific examples uh, of of fourth wall from you know from my journey. So. Um, you want you want to get started? You want to share your thoughts first, or what? Yeah, I, I mean, I think just defining the fourth wall for people a little bit as well. You know, Uta Hagen opens the chapter talking about it being this dark sort of cavernous space um, that she felt almost intimidated by, and um, when she was starting out acting, she almost felt she had to face away from it to the point where she was turning to the back of the stage, right? And um, the director was saying, you know, you know, you need to have your eyes out here. And then she was like a rabbit in the headlights, sort of feeling like she was having to force her, her eye line out front. And there was this thing of she was feeling damned if she does, damned if she doesn't, right? Like she feels that she was coming out of character by presenting out to the fourth wall. Like that wasn't something that was feeling coming natural for her. But also she wasn't really sharing what she was doing with an audience by turning back and completely ignoring the fact that that fourth mm -hmm. wall was there. I think it can, you know, like, the, it's talking purely about stage acting, you know, the bright lights, the darkness, the, the just like silhouettes and seeing people moving around. It can be incredibly distracting, you know, if you're not used to it and it can draw you out of character. And, you know, similar to a film set, you know, we've got lights on, you've got guys working in the background and all, all this stuff. Like, it can completely draw you out. And I think um, having a technique, a strategy to, to be working from when you're, you're faced with this, because it's not something that you can ignore. I think uh, trying to ignore it is not going to make that thing go away. There's, you're still going to have this fourth wall, this place in front of you, that's maybe not part of the world of the play. And you're going to have to find out 
how to do something about it. You know, it's not a um, physical. It's not a physical part of the world of the play. Mm. It, it exists, but in the imagination, right? It's there, but just not yes. physically. It's not seen by the audience, uh, unless you, unless you, the actor, creates it, and the, that you actually see it, and they see you seeing it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and what I found in this chapter is so nuanced in describing. There's not just one way of looking at the fourth wall, you know. Like, um, and I think it's really beautiful how she manages to describe it, and it it puts into words and cements like some of the the things I feel I was probably doing subconsciously, but I never had the words to sort of express it before, you know. Like, um, sure. that, that, that's just a, a little introduction, I guess, to fourth wall. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, so the to, to add on that, the fourth wall then is the space between the actors while they're facing forward, looking out at the audience uh, and the imaginary wall of if they're in the room, what's the wall that's, you know, that's there, but not physically there, because if, if the wall was there, the audience wouldn't be able to see it. Uh, or if you're outside, what's there off in the distance? What, you know, what's the landscape that you're seeing that you're creating in your imagination? You know, it's, it's what is out there as opposed to physically around you on the other three sides that are uh, visible to the audience in terms of the set. Yeah. Um, so I think it's incredibly important to talk about uh, the fourth wall and um, it being primary or secondary. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so there are times in a script where you actually talk about the stuff that's uh, on that fourth wall. Uh, the cherry orchard as an example talking about the uh, you know the landscape that's in front of them or if you're in a you're in a room and you're talking about a, a mirror or a door or um, a picture or a clock you know that's on the, the front wall there um, when you in the script mention it 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 becomes primary did, did I just I stop for a second yeah, yeah. Sorry, going uh, back. A, a call just came in. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so when you talk about it in the script, it becomes primary, and that's your focus. All the other time, it exists and it's secondary. Right? You make the the people and the circumstances and the relationship primary, uh, and it's. I think it's incredibly important that you, the actors, and the director all agree on when the fourth wall and the elements on the fourth wall become primary, and then also where all of those elements are spatially. Because if I'm, if we're, if, you know, I'm there with a couple of people and we're all looking forward, talking about a, a given tree that's in the distance, and I'm looking at the tree here, and they're looking at the tree here, and they're looking at the tree there, the audience is confused. Absolutely. So you, you they're, thinking, they're thinking, what's that dude looking at? Like, what's what's he looking at, right? <laughs> so it, it becomes incredibly important that you as an ensemble have a discussion and agree upon where the elements are physically located on that fourth wall so that the audience sees this imaginary world um, in a way that's believable to them. Right. I may see it here and, and create it and be, it will be very believable. And, you know, my acting partner may create it over there and it may be very believable to them. But to the audience, it makes no sense. And so selfish actors sometimes like to hide these things and do these things on their own. 
Um, but the, the highest level of acting is ensemble acting, where you're all telling the same story to create the same world. And I think you accomplish that by having the dialogue and sharing with each other to create that fourth wall. And if you have these primary moments, you know, it's, it's, it's as you're saying, right? Sitting down and saying the tree is represented by the emergency exit over there. Or, yes, you exactly. know, it's literally yeah. to that level of specificity. So everybody's got that, that focal point. Right. And it's, there is a layer on top of this, right? Like, like the, you can't be simply just looking at the emergency exit, but she does talk about, you know, endowing it with a bit of imagination as well, which we'll talk about in, in a moment, you know, but that, that's a really lovely trick, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really lovely just to know in, in its essence, in simplicity, if you have this obligation in the script to have to look out front, like you can just have that discussion as a cast, where are we looking? And, and the more open and transparent you can be with that, the more truthful that moment's going to become. And it's simple as having that sort of one minute dialogue about where it yeah. might be. You, know, you don't need to do anything more than that. And, um, I found it very, very interesting, those difference in definitions between primary and secondary. And, and that, that's the thing I was talking about. I didn't have the words for before, but I had yeah, an awareness true. of before, right? Yeah. Um, and I was doing it. And she mentions this, right? You know, as actors, we, we want to color the, the world as detailed as possible, right? And, and that perhaps, like Jared is saying here, you get told in the script, you must look out, see a certain thing. Yeah. But then there's other times <clears throat> where you won't. But Uta Hagen, every play that she did, would still place five to six items out the front regardless. It could be, for example, a picture frame. It could be lights. It could be whatever. And she's placing that in specific points of the auditorium. She's very... The, the aisle um, here, that light, the exit sign, you know, anchoring those images to those so that she's all, when she goes and she sees that, because you can see it from the stage, it then, it's not the sign anymore, right? It's this living thing that's been created for her through her imagination. Absolutely. And very intentional not to place it within <clears throat> any places where people could move around and, and become to distract her. She specifically mentions that, right? Aisles... At, near off the side, you know, bits that are going to be fixed no matter how many performances she does so she's not thrown by anything. Yeah. But then she makes this very, you know, this distinct um, difference between the primary and the secondary. Where the primary, she'd maybe have moments where she'd look out to it. She mentions about the secondary there's much more of a glance or an awareness that those things are there. Yeah, and that, it's just to, to, fill, to fill her with something to help her get rooted and connected to the environment and the imaginary circumstances without pulling her attention, making that, that tree, you know, off in the distance more important in that moment than the give and take between the, the two people. Exactly. And so, so no longer she's looking at this dark gaping hole of the, you know, the auditorium uh, yeah. that becomes quite an intimidating thing. She's able to place it in the world that, that she's in. Um, and she, she mentioned a very, I, I think fascinating exercise, a way to practice this f from home, even, right? Like she mentions how you can start doing this, creating a fourth wall in the room that you're in. Like the room I'm in tonight, I could practice that, that strategy of like presenting a fourth wall on, on a secondary basis. And, and she mentions this, right? You could lie down, you could be on the phone. And this is what she says, you know, to this, you can start placing items around you and, and just noticing as you're doing a phone call, as you're talking to somebody, like our attention is always drawn to different things regardless. Like it's, it's never like we're just 
fixed on, on one thing. Just noticing where your attention goes as, you, as you're moving yeah. around and, and having a phone call. And, and just by carrying out this exercise, I think she recommends, what, for about two minutes or something? To, yeah, to do most this? of the exercises, you know, a handful of minutes, two, three, five minutes, nothing, you know, nothing crazy, right? Mm. Work on the exercise and then step back and reflect on it. What did you experience? What did you learn? What things felt, uh, you know, if you can criticize yourself, what things felt authentic, what things felt fake and forced, and just become aware mm. of it. Mm. And, and, and eventually you build up this muscle memory of authenticity, I guess, to, to where your attention goes when you're talking, you know, because there are times where you, well, I'm doing it right now, you kind of look around um, where you're at. And she says, which I really love, if you practice the secondary fourth wall exercise, you know, where it's just kind of things you draw your attention to yeah. and you do it in the rehearsal room and you bring it in and the director says to you, what are you looking at? Then you have failed. <laughs> you <laughs> failed at this exercise because you've turned it into looking at uh, things from a primary point of view and right. it just doesn't fit, right? Like if, I think she mentions about a clock. If you, if you just sort of glance at the clock, then that's fine. But if you spend a long time looking at the clock, all that's going to happen is they're, they're going to think, what's this this guy staring at? Like, because he lost focus or what's going on, you know? <laughs> and so there's just this very subtle distinction yeah. between the two, um, which is it's so nuanced, right? Like, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. It's funny. But, um, so yeah. my, my very specific examples of things that have happened to me and things that I've worked on um, that it was really important that we had the fourth wall. So I was in a play, David Mamet play called Speed the Plow. And in one of the rehearsals, the director had asked us to both uh, come um, downstage center and look out the this big window. We were, we were in the executive's office and we were supposed to be looking out this window and seeing the Hollywood Hills and the Hollywood sign from the window. And that was the first time that he had asked us to create this, um, this fourth wall. We sort of knew, you know, where the office was and that maybe there was a window downstage, but we hadn't really talked about what we were actually seeing uh, before that. And so when we did it, uh, both myself and the other actor, we, we went, you know, downstage center and we started looking and we noticed that like we were both seeing the Hollywood sign like that you know, in two different directions. And so the director said, okay, look, why don't you just place the, the Hollywood sign right here above the, the last row of the, um, you know, of the seats and that's where it is. And so we were able to pin it right there. And so then the audience, when we're both coming downstage to look out at the Hollywood Hills and we see the sign, you know, we sort of talk about the, you know, the, this whole community that, you know, that we're serving as movie executives, we know exactly, and they both see us staring in that exact same direction. So it became a very real moment for us. And it became primary at that moment, because we were talking about, you know, the landscape at that moment. Yeah. And, I mean, I think if, if somebody's sitting here, they're, they're around and thinking, whoa, like that, that's really sort of over the top. Specific. I, I don't need that, you know, like I... Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm just fine with not creating anything out in front of me for the fourth wall. We always say, right, different things work for different people. But, I mean, can we take a little more to maybe just illustrate some of the pitfalls that there might be from ignoring the fact that they're, you know, that that's part of your, your world as an actor is, is that, you know, yeah. that fourth wall? So that yeah. actually, I mean, do you have an example that you want to share? I, I, I do. It flows right into my second one. Please, please do. Yeah, yeah. no, please share. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the second one I was going to bring up, it's, it's a great example of what you're talking about, uh, I think. Uh, 
if not, tell me uh, that I totally missed your point. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in the play that I wrote, um, Thanks Brother, we talk about this traumatic event that my character went through uh, when he was younger at the pond and about getting bullied and drowned and, and beaten up at the pond. Sure, And yeah. so we never talk about the pond as being right there outside the, you know, the, the window of the, the front of the house. But we all agreed that that's where it was. Like if you, if you came down and you looked out this window, uh, which is on the fourth wall, in the distance, you would be able to see the pond. We never in the dialogue said, hey, look at the pond, that happened to me over there. But the fact that it was there, we created it, we pinned it in a very specific location. And I knew that when I went downstage and stood next to the piano and looked out the window, I knew exactly where that pond was. Having the proximity to that pond filled me from an emotional perspective that enabled me to then carry the, uh, the, the emotion that the pond that I had created triggered in me, right, by me creating that that visually creating that pond and experience it triggered something in me emotionally that I then put into the work. Before that moment of me creating that pond and allowing that relationship to that fourth wall to stimulate the emotional response in me, I wasn't fulfilling the emotion that the director was asking of me in that particular moment. And so the, the pitfall, the downfall that I was experiencing as an actor by not using a fourth wall was inhibiting my ability to do the work that I was being asked to do on stage by the director. And the moment that I brought that fourth wall to life, created that pond, it triggered in me what, what was being asked of me. So without it, I was failing. With it, I was succeeding. What a beautiful illustration. Yeah, no, that's lovely. Yeah. So it has this, this ability to shift you to make you emotionally full in moments that otherwise might not have been there. Like, for me, and I, and I think I kind of touched on this at the start there, but if you don't do something to, to fix that area out in front of you in some way and make it part of your world in some way, then you can very easily fall into the trap of getting distracted, getting lost. I, I think anything that you're not specific with as, a, as an actor, then you, you lead yourself down a path of completely losing you know, the, the moment that you're in at, at points, you know, you're leaving it up to chance, you know, like in Uta Hagen, for instance, with her five, six items out there, you know, I've never thought of it in that much of a specific way before, but if somebody in the audience auditorium suddenly stands up phone or, goes off or, or something, or some distraction, yeah. She's made herself sort of bulletproof in a way, you know, like she can just glance up at the picture yeah. frame that she's fixated on the, on the fire exit or whatever it might be yeah. and bring her back into the moment, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, yeah, I think there's a little bit of arrogance maybe that comes from, I, I don't need any of that stuff. Like, I'm fine. I'll just focus on what's going on on the stage, perhaps, you know. Um, but also you leave yourself wide open to moments that, that don't need to be there, you know, like um, without doing it. And, and I think it is just something to consider, like, um, and, and can be applicable on a film set as well, right? It's, it's not just talking about being on stage here. Like, it just you have to be applied in a different way, like from what we were talking about. And, and just the one final bit we didn't touch upon, and I thought this was quite an, an interesting distinction. She says, "Don't don't turn." Like for instance, her picture frame, she hangs it on the fire exit. She says, "Don't turn the fire exit into a picture frame. Just hang things on these these items." And is that to help? 
do you think just fixate the object or you're not having to do that quantum leap of transforming an object in your head or what do you think that bit's about Jared? It's one less mental uh, gymnastics that you have to go through, right? So it, I'm going to see the exit sign. I, I, I see it, right? It's yeah. dark, but it's illuminated red and white, and I and I see it despite the fact that the you know the floodlights are on me. I can still see that. Look, if I spend mental energy trying to convert that sign into the thing that I'm putting on the fourth wall as opposed to just using that as the anchor that then is directly connected to the thing that's on the fourth wall. It's just one less step. It's just a faster path to the connection of the item that's on the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. And just before I forget, if you, if you don't fix an anchor to something as well, she, she mentions, right, being in the Tennessee Williams play and it opens up with, I think Blanche looking, looking at a mirror and like, She's looking out to this mirror and then she turns around, she goes back to look at it again. And she can't remember where the mirror was. <laughs> it's like, you can't fix things in mid air either, you know? So you, it does really help you. Yeah, that was one of the, the hardest exercises that I had to do, you know, back when I was like first studying method and I was doing this private moment exercise and I was doing, you know, like imaginary shaving in this imaginary um, mirror and how cross-eyed I got, like trying to create this mirror just floating in the middle of air, you know, and, and, you know, going down, you know, getting the shaving cream off of the eraser and coming back up and then like having to spend time trying to figure out what, like, okay, where, where is this mirror? Yeah, <laughs> fixating it, it floating in midair is, is always challenging. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've always called it like a fixed point, right? Find, finding a place where your gaze goes towards like a fixed point i don't know if you have a different term for it yeah. but I kind of yeah, call same, that, yeah. same idea and yeah. and depending upon how the, the proximity of where it is supposed to be to you is so like if i i, I don't know if you if you can see right now but i'm gonna fixate my eyes on, on um, the the holder that's got my phone right now and you can sort of see hold on you can sort of see um where i'm looking versus the um, at the very end of the of the room mm. is where the the doorknob is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you know yeah. and so it looks like i'm looking farther away and it looks like i'm looking closer yeah and so depending upon what you need the audience to perceive you you then you fixate on a different spot yeah yeah no that, that's great and i don't know john do you want to jump in in a non-chronological way into outdoors at the moment or do you want to move um into the more chronological and endowments or, or what would you like to no, yeah, you know because like out, outdoors yeah sure it's it's a it's a pretty simple connection and i think we're probably not going to make a lot more commentary you know that the outdoors from a uh, a fourth wall perspective um is basically what we just said the stuff that we haven't talked about in terms of the outdoors is all of the sensory elements of temperature, weather, um, your time of day, time of year, sun, moon, rain, just the elements and how they affect you when you're outdoors. Hey, so sure. we're, we're jumping yeah. from what uh, object exercise four all the way to object exercise seven to outdoors, but we'll circle back up in a minute. Yeah, and I, and I think just real quick, because there's no crossovers here. And, and I think she starts the chapter even saying, it is an extension of your fourth wall work in a sense, you know, yep. but you'll maybe get an instruction um, in the stage direction saying, uh, I think she goes, a hill in Dublin, 
or something and it's like okay great a hill in dublin and then you walk on and with the best will in the world the set designers done what they can with this hill in dublin yeah what you you do in this space this area and it's like how do you start to endow that space with the characteristics of um an, an outdoor space and and she does speak it it learned about observation and about actually going and experiencing these these places and so as you say she, she begins to talk about almost two parts to how you'd access this outdoor world and one which is sense memory isn't that like about about sort of yeah feeling how you are in these situations and, and noticing how you are in these situations right so you and i we've talked many times about eric morris and you know in his system of acting um sense memory is the foundation tool that's used to access more than half of the uh, the stuff that he's created and that if you don't have training in and uh, expertise in applying the use of sense memory as a as a practical tool to sensorily create things that are not there so that that created sensory experience stimulates something in you that's useful for the piece. If you don't have the, the mastery over sense memory, there's so much of his technique and other techniques that are just not accessible to you as an actor. You know, so sense, sense memory is a, it's a process, you know, and it takes time to get good at it. Um, but if you don't know how to do sense memory, um, you should learn. Maybe we'll maybe we'll cover that in one of the upcoming yeah. sessions. Yeah, but it's, no, definitely. Yeah, well, that, I actually wrote that down. That uh, this exercise, uh, the exercise where you apply sense memory and, and endow uh, sensory elements of the outdoors to the objects that you encounter. It's sense memory, sense memory, sense memory. Yeah. Sure, but also the challenge within it, right, is you, you might get this actor that is absolutely amazing, uh, suddenly showing that it's cold. You know, they, 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 they can really embody that, that, that world of being outdoors in a cold, yeah. wintry day. But that's never the sole goal, right? Like, talking about the distinction between primary and secondary again, it, it might be primary and the script. You just, the thing in your character's head is that you're cold, right? Like, and, and that is the thing. But I think... What does that often entail maybe, in you? Yeah. Yes, th this is it. Or, or what's the main thing in your character's head at that moment? Because it might be the fact that it's cold, it's there, and it's a circumstance you can't ignore, but it's not the sole element. And I, and I think sometimes actors can be guilty of, oh, it's cold and yeah, I really need to display and show that it's cold, and, and they lose all of the, the colour, all of the layers and nuance uh, thoughts that the character's going through, right? You're, like, you're reminding me of the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go for it, man. <laughs> well, it... it it bleeds into this outdoors and then it also, it connects into endowments too. So um, I'll, sh I'll share one of the, of the two stories that I was going to tell that sort of uh, tethered here. Um, a lot of times actors that are untrained will only experience the sensory effect of the environment on the lines where they make it the primary. Like when the line says, man, it's cold in here. It's just before, during, and just after that moment that they begin to sensorily experience and then share with the audience that the temperature is affecting them. No, it's cold all the time. Mm. It's not just cold the moment that you say it's cold. Mm. 
right? It exists the entire way throughout. I was watching uh, Grapes of Wrath, uh, like a local community theater production of Grapes of Wrath a while ago. And it's, you know, it's sandy, it's hot, it's, you know, and, you know, every now and then somebody will wipe the sweat off of their brow. Um, well, there was a period of time where everybody began to wipe the sweat off of their brow. And it was like, some, what's going on? What's going on? And then somebody had a line about, oh, wow, it's really hot. You know, it's like, no, it's it's been hot for the last hour. Yeah, 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 exactly. Not, not over the, the period of three seconds. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so allowing the heat, the sand, the dryness, you know, to, you know, to constantly, like, so what do we do? Like when it's hot, you know, like we, we're constantly, you know, like wiping the sweat underneath, airing out our shirt. You know, like, like the white stuff out of the corners of our mouths, you know, sand mm. in our eyes. So the people that are, you know, um, listening to this on a, on a replay on a podcast, I, I'm, I'm physicalizing all these things I'm talking about now. Mm. Mm -hmm. That stuff exists, right? That's just the natural behavior of when it's, I, I'm like, whenever I visit my mom in Florida, it's so humid that the moment you step outside, you're just, you're dripping, you're dripping no. wet. Yeah, no. you're, just, you're hit with like steam, and it's just mm. yeah, your clothes stick to you. Like you, you know, if you if I had hair, you know, your hair mats down, and it's just so horrible, right? It exists yeah. all the time. No, and, and this is the thing. And going back to the sense memory, right? Like for those guys, for those community actors you were talking about, there's these little tweaks, these little ways in that they could, you know, that could really help them sort of have that lasting over a long period of time and not just for the couple of seconds that it's referred yeah. to in the script, you know? So if you take yourself and it's going to be different for everyone, right? How it feels truthful to them. And right? so for me in Scotland, we get tons of cold weather, like really, really cold weather. Like, and for me, I'm go like, I know that I hunch when it's cold and like, I, I stiffen a little bit when it's cold, you know? And like, I'm not, I'm not talking like exaggeration. Yeah. Like that, that's how I feel. As I move in, and and then it was a really and, cold winter. And you're a you're a bony, skinny fellow, so when it's cold, <laughs> it affects you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel it, man. I feel it. And like, if it's a really cold day, I feel it in my nostrils, and it tends to be like a sharp, short inhale of of breath. You know, I don't want to be yeah. taking big, re relaxed breaths, and I'm like I'm getting that cold feeling running through my nose and stuff. So instantly, if I if I just key into those things and let myself embody that a little bit and let, yeah. let that affect me and let it build and grow, then I've got that going on throughout the scene. And, and, and um, in, in a whole um, country, like, I just feel much more relaxed and loose and, like, I feel my body movements just being a lot more slower even, you know, like, and, and I just love that inhale of, like, a beautiful sunny day and you can just smell nature and stuff. So, like, my breathing changes as well. And, and, and I think... And then that triggers an emotional good. response in you, right? Yeah. So, the, like, it, on that beautiful sunny day, it's going to trigger something in you emotionally and behaviorally that's vastly different than when it's cold and it's a sharp little, you know, inhale that, that actually hurts and stiffens you up and makes you hunch over. So, from an outdoors perspective, talking about the outdoors exercise, start to pay attention to when you are outdoors and in nature, how the environment affects you sensorily and your body's uh, your body's response your emotional response your thoughts your memories your images your behavior so that you can then recreate that as a practical exercise in your room or in class recreate sensorily 
that environment that triggered the response in you so that you could then use that to fulfill the obligation of the script. I'll try to connect, connect the dots on, on something here. So let's say the cold air for you um, ultimately affects you physically, but the emotional response of that is it makes you angry. You become uh, short-tempered, um, you're irritable, right? You're not easygoing. You're, you're much more closed off and confrontational in, you know, from an emotional and behavioral perspective. Mm. Wouldn't it be wonderful that if you're in a play and your character is this, I don't know, emotional, uh, irritable, easily provoked kind of a guy that you could use your sense memory skills to create the outdoors environment of the cold so that your body responds and you naturally are then in that state of being to mm -hmm. fulfill the character's obligation. That's Beautiful. the entire point of sense memory and how you connect the dots of sense memory to the outdoors exercise, mm. I, I think. No, that's beautiful. That, that's lovely. And, and like, you know, I, I think there's one final post-it note to put in the, the outdoors bit. It's, it's just, you know, she, she mentions that maybe you bring this imagery beyond just the fourth wall and, and that you're sort of placing things, you know, on all walls, really, you know, like, the, you know, where you are in the outdoor space, you know, at all times you have these little anchor points around fixed points that, that are the, the outdoors and I guess proximity as well within that, right? How far off is the distant trees in the distance and, and, and all of that, you know? So um, it's, it's as well as painting, painting this picture that can be helpful for you in terms of just accessing the scale of the place, because otherwise you're just fluffing it a bit, right? You're just sort of um, following the stage direction of I am in a hill in Dublin. But if yep. you can really paint the picture for yourself of that hill in Dublin and have places as you go throughout the scene, like around you, it's going to be very helpful, you know? Just I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a little bit about outdoors, which which allowed us a little bit to talk tiny little bit about endowments, a little bit. But um, so shall we? Shall we? Shall we jump into endowments, Jared? Next. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, endowments. I, I've got a couple of stories, and I think I'm going to do a little endowment exercise. Uh, sure. Great. And the word endowment is used by many different acting teachers. And sometimes it means the same thing. Sometimes it means something totally different. Sometimes it's, you know, loosely connected, but, uh, and so we'll talk, a, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, not just the Uta Hagen's endowment, but, uh, but other endowments as well. Uh, she's, she's talking at a high level in terms of endowing qualities and attributes since sensory qualities and attributes on the environment, on the props, on your costume, um, in such a way that it triggers a response in you. Uh, so here's here's a very specific example of a of an epic fail uh, that one of my students didn't didn't endow an exercise, and um, I, it's probably ten years ago, twelve years ago, even I don't know. It's a long time ago. This ex and it's. It's so real for me, and I, and I love talking about this. Uh, he's coming in from the pouring rain, coming into uh, to the house, and uh, he he knocks on the door. the um, The scene partner opens the door, and you know he's he's hunched over his jacket's all all wet, um, 
and you know the the rain's been pouring down on him so he's he's sensorily creating the uh the, the rain you know his jacket his his pants his hair it's all good uh she waves him to come on in and he comes in and the rain is gone it's as if there was no water anywhere on him he takes his jacket off just puts it on the back of the chair walks and sits down on the couch and i let the the exercise go on for a little bit and then i said okay hold on a second i go where the hell did all the rain go right i said first of all how dare you walk into a house with your wet and muddy boots and not take them <laughs> off how dare you take your jacket off and just throw it on the back of this woman's wooden chair like this is not your house you know shake the coat off outside you know find a place to, to hang it up appropriately take those boots off don't just go sit down on her couch all wet right you know so he had lost the reality of the endowed um, water in the rain all, all like outside, you know, before he walked into the door, it was, he was doing good. And then it just disappeared. Yeah. And what a gift it could have been as well. Right. I don't know the circumstances that he was acting in the scene, but if he had this compelling reason to communicate something and he's, he's got this wet sure. coat and the, the shoes and he can't quite like, <laughs> I can't sit down and I can't, I can't walk in because I've got my right. boots and that it, it, it have added a really interesting dynamic yeah. to the scene, right? Because yeah. that's what we like to see as, as an audience is this struggle that an actor's going through, you know, yeah. as well. We don't like it, just straightforward and things, right? So um, it could have been a real gift for that guy. Yeah, hopefully he, he, he learned the lesson. He was early on in his training, and it's yeah. been one of those things that uh, we laugh about. He he was an uh, he was an older an older gentleman, and um, we we laugh about other things. Like one one time he, <laughs> I don't know if this is related at all to this, but it's just such a funny story. Uh, he needed to make a phone call, and he he walked over and he did something that um, everybody that was in class that was about. 25 to 35 had no idea what was going on so he walked he walked over to the wall and like picked up uh the receiver off of the the, the phone connected to the wall you know and, and went like this and people were like what what is he doing like he had picked up a receiver off this imaginary uh, this phone you know i, I don't know do you, you know what i'm talking about right the yeah, old, yeah, phone yeah. on a wall yeah yeah, yeah, man. yeah. and it was just so fun like i said you know you you reveal just how old you actually are you know that you, <laughs> in your mind you still have that 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 i yeah he died he dialed you know he dialed the phone on the wall it was yeah, it was yeah. almost as bad as you know that one where you're like whatever but yeah, well, he created a fourth wall. That, he created the fourth wall, you know. Yeah, it does, phone. but also it does touch upon endowments, right? In terms of, so you know, Uta Hagen mentions this uh, actor that she was watching early on in her career, and she was having to sew, you know. But then she found out when she was on stage, oh, I can't actually, you know, thread this needle. It's too complicated. So she ends up miming the sewing, and the, and the miming, the minute you mime something. It just breaks everything, it, it, you know, breaks you out of the world. Unless it's part of the world of the play where you mind stuff or whatever, it's just going to break it for you, right? Um, and it's that thing, right? So say I'm an actor, Jared, that says, right, I'm, I'm not doing any miming stuff, but no, nor am I pretending that I'm, I'm doing something either. Like, you know, if, if I've got whiskey, I'm going to be drinking whiskey on the stage. Or if, I'm, if I have to cook, I'm going to be cooking. Or... Um, Examples from the book, right? If I have to put on nail polish, I'm going to put on nail polish or um, whatever. What would you say to an actor who, who says that? I, I want to really 
actually do those things if I'm asked to be doing them. Yeah. Um, I would pose the question to say, when it says in the script that he stabs her um, or he stabs himself, what, what are you going to do then? But there's a time and a place for everything, right? Or it says he picks up the gun and, shoot, and shoots him, you know, shoots him in the head and kills him. Like, come on. Of course you don't drink real whiskey. Uh, you know, of course. You know, you, you have to endow. There are certain things that, yes, of course you're going to do and you're going to use the reality of it. But there are certain things that we as responsible adults, responsible professional actors should never do, right? You choreograph the fight scenes. You don't actually stab. You don't actually shoot them. You don't actually, you know, chug a bottle of tequila, right? You you don't actually do those things. Um, you don't actually shoot up with heroin, right? You're not actually snorting cocaine. I mean, let's just let's just be responsible adults here. Right? I think that's it. And it, you know, th th those are the extreme example examples. But even in the book, she mentions about this actress who has to polish. Uh, Mark says Birdman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bird, Birdman. Yeah. Did, Birdman? did you did you see that movie, The Birdman? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know. Uh, so Michael Keaton, Edward Norton. Uh, it's it's a great movie, but uh, Edward Norton was um, he was on stage doing you know doing work and uh, you know would not drink the water, drank you know drank the vodka. Right? It was his character, not Edward Norton, but his character in in the movie uh, wanted the reality of it. Uh, you know, and there was a sex scene. Right? They got under the covers and like you know, like you don't really do some of these things. So. Yeah, they yeah. Yeah. The example, even even with the shoe polish, so in the, in the book that she yeah. gives is, is the the actress, right? She does this wonderful scene. She's polished the the shoes, and she's desperately trying not to have. I, I think it's her lover or something to leave. And she grabs onto his legs and yeah. stuff, and it's really emotional. And she ends up like this shoe polish all over her and stuff, and it's, it's like wow, super dramatic. But then the lights go down, yeah. the lights come up again, and she's covered in shoe polish. And it's the next day, yeah. and like it's just taking it out of the reality completely. And it is these little things, isn't it? That just yeah. like um, yeah. make the difference as well. So why why not endow the fact that you are actually yeah, using steam polish than actually use it? You know, and um, that, that's part and parcel, isn't it? Like it, there is obviously the dangerous elements. There's also just these logistical things where it just yeah it, it works. So you know? when you really do things, you must practice, 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 so that it's safe and believable um i watched um frankie and johnny in the claire de lune on on broadway recently um and michael shannon um and audrey mcdonald they they crushed it michael shannon cooked breakfast you know so hot stove frying pan bacon you know he was cooking actually you can smell it right he was actually cooking you could see it hear it smell it throughout the theater um and so he has to practice that to, to one, get the timing and two, make sure that it's safe, that he doesn't burn himself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So yes, yeah, so sometimes you are actually doing it, but obviously only when it's safe and rehearsed and practiced, you know, so that mm -hmm. it becomes truthful reality. And in those cases where you can't, um, you need to endow. You know, maybe you were doing an exercise with me on this, you know, months ago where you were cutting an onion, but it wasn't an onion, right? And so you, and, you know, you could have endowed an apple or a potato, or whatever it was that you were cutting. You could have endowed the qualities of that. Um, I don't know, what, like what, whatever comes off of the onion that makes you cry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no. you you endow the qualities there. Well, totally, man, and and it, and it's um, it's all that you know. Like, I I don't drink so much nowadays, but I have drank a fair bit over over my time. And you, even if you just go through the different alcohols, right, and the different feelings that come with holding a pint of beer to say a whiskey to a cocktail to like all of these have slightly different feelings, don't they? That just like you can, you know, even even if it's just water in the yeah. glass or coloured water. You can start playing around with the feeling of of those things like really quite easily once you've built up that sort of sense of memory. Yeah, to, um, yeah. yeah you, you don't drink a glass of beer the same way that you drink a glass of whiskey. It, it's yeah. a, it's a different physical uh, task. Yeah. If if I chugged a glass of whiskey like a you know you would chug a glass of beer, uh, you know the the effect on your body would be vastly different. Sure, to, to the difference where you've got this hot coffee and like how you, how you treat that and like yeah. like it, it's yeah it's there there are ways in right once once you've just sort of become aware of how you are in the situations I guess isn't that but um but yeah you were saying Jared you might have a little exercise at your yeah so yeah this, so like deviating slightly from um the primary uh, definition of endowment from Udahagen, which is more in the realm of the physical and the sense, the sensorial response of those uh, props or costumes or environment that you may interact with. You're like, I'm endowing that coat that's wet. I'm endowing it with those qualities so that it affects me in such a way that my behavior changes. There's um, in, in addition to that um, where you can, in addition to sensorially endowing the physical attributes of the, you know, onto that particular uh, costume or prop, you can also endow emotional qualities to it as well. You can endow history and meaning and relationship to the props and costume and the set all around you, just like with the fourth wall, so that your environment becomes incredibly real for you. If you happen to get distracted, there's a path back into the imaginary world. And when you relate to those particular um, costume, set, prop, whatever, you have yet another tool to stimulate a re, uh, an emotional response in you that can be used to fulfill the obligations of the script. Mm. So there's a, an acting exercise called endowments on the fly, which is, uh, I, I, I took two very meaningful props that um, that have history and meaning to me. Um, and, I, and I'll show them and I'll pick them up and I'll tell you a, a little story about them. And if I was going to use those on stage, um, I would allow my endowed imagined history or my endowed real history to affect me in a way that I could then take that response and put it into the work. So two of the two of the three objects are real, and the third object I just grabbed before we started, and I'm just going to make something up, and so I'm going to endow the history on the fly and see what happens, right? And so you, you know, your job and the people that are that are looking, you know, your job is to um, try to spot the phony, you know, which which is the endowed of the three props that I'll I'll pick up in just a second. Which are the three props? One that you know, which which one is uh, is bullshit. Good. Get involved, everybody. Yeah. Let's so first, start, start start paying attention. Um, okay. So the, the the first one is this uh, gold pinky ring 
that I, I put on here. I wore this ring. I, I bought it at a pawn shop in Manhattan. And uh, I don't think that anybody that actually wears a pinky ring is somebody that you can trust. I think it's probably the, the, the most sleazy kind of uh, jewelry that exists. Anybody that wears a pinky ring is a scumbag. Uh, they're a liar. And so I was playing this character, Charlie Fox in Speed the Plow, and I couldn't, I couldn't get connected to the scumbag, uh, the shyster uh, kind of an energy. And so I, I went into Manhattan, I went to a pawn shop, and I found this pinky ring and uh, got approval from the, uh, uh, the props master that I could you know, make this part of the, the costume. And I, I wore it all the time uh, out and about in life, and I wore it to rehearsals and I wore it in the show. And this just made me feel like such a scumbag. You know, my whole mannerism changed, and it just became this, this primary, this primary uh, focal point of it. And so every time that I wear this, uh, every time that I think of somebody who wears a pinky ring, don't trust them because they're scum. That's exactly what it is. And just a little disclaimer here, guys. If you're wearing a pinky ring and listening to two guys talking, <laughs> we, we love you. We love you. Uh, don't listen <laughs> yeah. to anything the jealous I, No, I, 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 stand by, I stand by it. I stand by <laughs> it. Pinky rings are not. Uh, yeah, it's. Okay. Well, we, then, we just brought the member on Instagram live. That's somebody with a pinky ring right there. And I'm very <laughs> The next one is um, so my my son's twenty seven, and this was his uh, baby blanket. And yeah, it still smells like the talcum powder that we used to put on him here. A cute little um, little horsey on it. So I I actually I keep this with me. I have it in a little bag because I want to preserve it. Uh, but this this blanket just brings back um, a lot of memories of when he was little um, with his long curly blonde hair before we cut it off, and it just makes me yeah it makes me feel good. It makes me feel love, fatherhood, um, just. Yeah, it grounds me. Just it doesn't make me make me sad. Uh, I, I've got a great relationship with my son, so it's not triggering, um, you know, melancholy or, or, or sadness. It's it's creating a, a lot of love and, and joy in me, and the scent of it is is wonderful. Okay, and then the third one is this this eight ball. So uh, many years ago, I um, was. Uh, an, an eight ball player. Um, and I went to Las Vegas. I don't know if you know that uh, every year in Las Vegas, they have uh, nine ball and eight ball uh, tournaments. And um, I, I competed and I came in fourth place. I didn't win, but I came in fourth place. And this just reminds me of uh, how far I, there were, I mean, there were a few thousand people that entered in, into the open tournament and I did really, really well. Um, anyway, I, uh, I hustle pool. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a damn good pool player. So uh, I, I didn't win, came in fourth, uh, but I stole this, uh, this eight ball. I, I, you know, I grabbed it off the table before I left. And so this just reminds me of uh, this, in addition to acting, my passion for, uh, for playing billiards and pool. So that's it. Those are the three. My, my, uh, my scumbag ring, my son's blanket, and the eight ball.
All right. <laughs> People in the Instagram live right now, let us know which one uh, you thought was bull, but you didn't think was a, a truly endowed <laughs> object from Jared's life. Um, let, let us drop it below. We had, uh, just to recap there, the pinky ring, we had the baby blanket, yeah. and we had the, <laughs> the eight ball. So which which one do you feel Jared had the least attachment to? That didn't really ring true, that we didn't really feel he had that deep connection uh, to what he was describing it. We maybe didn't see him emotionally um, as, as, as emotionally moved. Um, when he was describing it. I'm just cracking up. <laughs> Mark's funny. Dale is funny. Uh, the eight ball garbage blanket. Yep. <laughs> okay, so you stole the ball. Mark's his blanket. The eight ball's garbage, says Dale. So, um... Thanks, guys. Shout out to yourself, Mark, to, to yeah, Dale as well. Joanne, I see you've got a question here. We'll, we'll have a look at that in a little bit. Um, I'm going to also say, Jared, the, the eight ball yes. is, the, is the, yeah, the garbage one. Yeah. Eight ball is the Would garbage you... one. Um, yeah, yeah, the eight ball is the garbage one. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. grabbed this from my pool table down. So I love I love shooting pool. I I, I do hustle pool. I'm, I'm a pretty darn good pool player. Um, but no, I never went to Las Vegas and I never stole this. Um, yeah. The the ring is real. The baby blanket is real. Um, and so if I took time to endow with history and emotion and meaning and relationship to all of the props that are around me while I'm performing, at any moment I have access to things that are going to stimulate in me a response that I could ultimately put into the work. And so, look, if I needed to uh, be in a certain way um, and I didn't have anything available to me and I'm shooting pool, look, maybe I need to work a little bit more on my imagination and create um, a deeper endowed story so that it affects me. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Because that was just something you made up on the spot, right? You, your eight-ball yep. story right there. Like, but had you sort of got that attachment to – because I, I can vouch for that. Yeah, you've got a pool table in your house, all that stuff, like – you could get yourself in a place where you, you endowed that more, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that exercise is fascinating because it's, it's fun. It's, it's cool. Yeah, so the, the way that we do it when we're in class, right? When, when I'm teaching, is we tell everybody to bring in um, two meaningful props and don't tell anybody what you bring in, and everybody brings in and puts their props on a table. And then one at a time, the actors go up and they, they pick either one or two. Um, out of the three that they, you know, either they're going to talk about their, their two and then one fake one, or they'll pick two fake ones and one real one. And everybody gets a turn to go up to the table and, and pick it up. Everybody goes. And then we have a really wonderful conversation about what we experienced, how, what we saw, um, you know, them go through sensorily, emotionally, imaginatively. Um, and then once, you know, once everybody has a good laugh, you know, revealing all the, uh, the nonsense ones, we go back to the ones that have the, the deepest connection to them. We have them go back up and start retelling the story, allowing the endowed memory and feeling uh, to stimulate something in them. And then we immediately put that into work. So it's mm -hmm. the, the response, the sense, the emotional response that they're getting from the endowed and the sensory um, experience. We put it into work. Either they start doing their monologue we do a scene that's scripted or we do an improv, right? And so we make good use of the response that they're getting from the endowment. 
Mm. And yeah. and even just, I, I know it's a little fun sharing it tonight, but there were really truthful, beautiful moments from from what you shared there. You know, the way you sniffed that blanket, like, was just filled with sincerity and, and love and, like, you know, you can be an amazing actor, like, but there was real truthful, genuine love in, it, in the way that you were, you were just uh, took all that in, you know, yeah. like, um, I think even the way your gaze was on the pinky ring one, you know, like, like <laughs> it felt like you were recalling I, like quite a genuine memory that like you bring yourself back to that time because you, you kind of broke your gaze away from us as if you were just like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm remembering this time now. Whereas the eight ball just seemed a lot more fixated on us and it became, you know, I was a trying too hard to convince you of it. I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It just felt like it was, yeah. it was part of you, you know, and those, those other ones. And um, uh, yeah, I think it does just. Yeah, you're right. If I'm, if I'm going to be critical of what I just shared, I was trying too hard to convince you of this. Whereas the other ones, I was just experiencing the memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. it. It's yeah, almost like you got lost in certain moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you were able to get lost in those moments. And so that's actually a really good thing to, to know so that I don't do it again, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obvious, so, okay. Um, let's say I endow um, a prop that I'm going to use on stage in order to help stimulate an emotional response in me so that I can use that response in the work. That endowment and that relationship and that connection to the endowed prop should not be revealed to the audience, right? It's not something that I want to show to the audience to say, hey, look at how this blanket is making me feel so that you understand why I'm now in this loving state, right? It's just there to stimulate, unless there's something in the script where that prop becomes primary. Otherwise, it's secondary. It just exists. I don't need to call attention to it. I just need to relate to it, sensorily experience it, have it stimulate a response in me that I then put into the work, right? Mm -hmm. that, and that, that's how you endow. And so it could be completely made up an imagined endowment. It can be a substituted endowment. You know, you could take a, a real uh, life experience and endow that onto the props. You can make it up, whatever it is. Or sometimes people bring in their own props for the, um, for the plays that they're doing. It could mm -hmm. be something real from their life too. But you never call attention to it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's it's part of the circumstances, right? Is is this a circumstantial sort of thing, isn't it? And, and it might feel overwhelming, right? So somebody might be listening to all these things we're bringing up tonight and feel like, so what? I've got to think of the fourth wall. I've got to think if I'm outdoors. I've got to think I'm outdoors. And then like, if I've got a prop, I've got to endow it. But I think to put people's minds at ease, it's a bit like going back to the outdoor thing with the breathing, right? Like how your breath is different outdoors. If you can tap into something physically and find this. It to emotionally move you in some way, then it's almost like that's that's the wheel starting to turn, isn't it? On this, it's like it doesn't become an intellectual exercise at all. It's much more of a a physical it's thing. A sensory like, response. Like, yeah, yeah. This is it. Like, so it's it don't feel the pressure of I'm never going to remember all this stuff, or how am I going to think about all this stuff? It's more that you're feeling it and you're letting it affect you in in some way. Well, to, to be fair, she, we talked about this earlier that you don't want to try to do this for the first time when you're filming or you're performing, right? That's why you have, you know, at least in, 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 in this book, she's given you 10 very specific exercises that are to be practiced on your own when you're not actually performing 
so that you don't get overwhelmed. Right? So that so that when it comes time to having to layer all of these things in, you don't go bonkers, right? Because you have experience allowing all of these different exercises to take hold in you so you can practically apply them when you're doing your work. Yeah, you've done the work. You've done the work. And like, yeah. you know, it's it just, yeah, lives just inside of you. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Jared, it seems like you've got, you know, a good bunch with, with us here. And I, I don't know how you're doing for, for time and stuff, but do we, do we have a bit of time to delve into um yeah our, our next chapter do you think or the talking to yourself yeah talking to yourself yeah, yeah sure yeah we could do yeah, yeah. Cool. let's do talking to yourself and then we'll we'll end it on that yeah sounds great sounds great so you know just just to give a bit of a premise to this this next chapter and we've covered a whole load tonight but um talking to yourself she opens the chapter by saying that the, the monologue is a device that's sort of used um, throughout history in very different ways, you know, depending, depending on the time, depending on the culture, like depends on how a monologue might be communicated, you know. So if you look back to Shakespeare times, there's many different styles of monologue there. We had this very, very popular thing in the UK recently called Fleabag. And I don't know if that made it over there to the States. Love but that show. Yeah, I, I've not seen it. I, I haven't watched it. Or, oh, um, so but, good. But from what I believe, it's it's a monologue like direct to to people like when it was the stage play and, and I, I believe there's elements of that goes on like the breaking of the fourth wall in the yeah. show yeah. yeah yeah so i mean i didn't see the stage version of it you know just saw the maybe it was netflix or, or something but lo loved it and yeah there was many times where you know things are taking place and then boom right to the camera and, and a conversation revealing like the inner thoughts and then back Mm, mm. So, so it's just this thing of it. It's not going to go away. It's, it's always been around and and and, and acting and like that. She expresses this idea that there's perhaps a false dichotomy of people thinking that a monologue is purely when somebody talks to themselves, and that actually, more times than not, the monologue isn't actually just talking to yourself. That you can always find a way to communicate to someone. That quite often the monologue. Is actually a duologue, right? That, that she mentioned, duologue. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, it might be, yeah. Again, going for this difference of primary, secondary sort of idea, I guess. Yeah. That you are told exactly who you're communicating to in, in that time, you know. And it might be that you're communicating out to the fourth wall to somebody who's not there, you know. But you maybe know the character that you're actually talking to, you know. And, and that's very helpful, isn't it? Like to know those things as an actor, it gives us safety, it gives us comfort like, um, and who we're directing it to. But then there are times where it's maybe not alluded to exactly who you're, you're talking to. You're just, you're just talking out there into the open space. And um, you have to then make that distinction as to who your target is that you're talking to. So I don't know, maybe we'll open this up a little bit, Jack, to, you know, who, who does she say when you, when you haven't been talking to, you're talking to who, who are you communicating with? I think that you need to make that very specific choice you know if you are if you have a monologue and you don't know who specifically you're talking to sometimes it's to yourself and sometimes in that imagined self-talk you're actually directing pieces of what you're saying to a very specific person if while you're performing you don't have an answer to that am i just talking to myself trying to talk through and figure things out or am i oh yeah you know you i can't believe that i can't believe that you did that you know and you're actually pointing it right to somebody if you don't know specifically the audience is never going to experience the intention i think that the, the playwright has 
And it's sometimes depending on the style, right? Sometimes you can literally be communicating it to the audience, like like that. That might be yeah, a device. Yeah, that happens a lot. Well, you know, you know? just like in the, the TV version of the food bag, it's an it's an aside. Yeah. You, know. you might have license to do that, you know, but but yeah, I, th I think it is key, isn't it? It goes back to the prep work. It goes back to the classic fundamental questions: who, who, what, where, why, when, where, am I, what am I doing? Oh yeah, yeah her, how about her ten, nine or ten questions that she that we talked about yeah. at the very beginning? Uh, yeah. Wait a minute, let's just remind everybody. I got I have to have it somewhere, right? Uh, who am I? Oh yeah, so part of this. Uh, who am I? What time is it? Where am I? What surrounds me? What are the given circumstances? What's my relationship? What do I want? What's in my way? What do I do to get what do I want? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all that stuff in yeah. it. It's, it's been as specific as possible because otherwise you're going to get lost. Shout out, Joanne. Those seem like great monologues. The Steamy is a great Scottish play as well. I, I, I love that play. Um, but yeah, um, it's uh, th this thing that. I think when we get when we see that in a script, and we see that we've got a monologue, perhaps as, as an actor as well, it could make us overcome with fear. And that, how do I um, get this across? Um, and there's that. And we got Momad MGMT yeah. asking which it's book were Uta Hagen, Respect for Acting. Yeah, <laughs> we've been covering it for a little while, um, Momad. And if you want to listen to previous episodes, we've got them on Spotify. Um, and we've got on Instagram Live as well, like um, Instagram TV, if you want to check yeah. that out. Um, but yeah, th there is this fear of how do I sustain this level of communication over a, you know, over that prolonged period of time? For, for me, it always goes back to preparation and specificity. If you try and blag your way through a monologue, I think you're going to get found out very, very quickly. Like, like it's not something you can just sort of improvise. I like um, because, in a sense, there's there's nothing hugely that you can play off of a lot of the time. You know, like you can have this sort of free form sort of feeling of play a bit more with other actors, and you still need to do all the preparation behind it, right? But I think it's so exposing when it's just you on your own that there's nowhere to hide in terms of like being prepared and being specific as to the moment-to-moment -moment work. And, and, and quite a lot of that for me as an actor is always like doing some sitting down and doing some text work, you know, like like literally going through and um, yeah, looking at what's being said and where there's shifts and where there's different sort of units that might come in in, the, in this in script and stuff. But um, what about for you, Jerry, when, when you've had this experience of having this monologue and, you know, you've been presented with? So trying to tie this back to the talking to yourself exercise um, in the book, um, mm. which she, you know, she, she tees up as um, set up a scenario, come home, set up a scenario and do something physically, have a task, have a goal, set something up. And while you're doing it, notice how you make commentary, how you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing. Um, and I went and, and I, and I, and I practiced, I did, you know, I, I like to cook. I, I think I mentioned this before. I'm not a good cook, but I enjoy it. <laughs> so, you know, working on, on cooking, um, the knife wasn't sharp enough. Uh, the asparagus was a little too frozen. I took it out and it didn't defrost and I was having a hard time cutting the asparagus. And I began to talk to myself. 
and I began to talk to the knife and I began to talk to the asparagus and I'm having this, this, uh, you know, this monologue and I'm interacting with the knife and with the asparagus. And I realized while, while I'm doing it, that I become animated. I'm gesturing and I'm physicalizing um, because I'm emotional, because I'm um, confronted with the inability to succeed at doing what I'm doing. And it made me stop and think that a lot of times actors are very fearful of indicating, showing, um, physicalizing. But I think what uh, I read in the book and what I discovered doing the exercise was when you physicalize, and sometimes it's you know a little bit exaggerated in these exercises, when you physicalize, if it's coming out of a truthful expression and you're doing it for you, not to show the audience, not to entertain them, make them laugh, but what you do physically and what you say is helping to serve you, make sense of the circumstances, manage your emotions in those circumstances, then everything is fair game and fine. And so, you know, as I reflected back on what I was doing, I was talking to the knife and cursing at the knife for, you know, how expensive it was and how, how is it possible that you're not sharp enough to cut through asparagus and how long does it take the asparagus to defrost? I took it, I took it out, out of the freezer over a half hour ago. How are you still so hard, you know? And, and I'm, I'm physicalizing, you know? And so uh, for me, I discovered that when I talk to myself, I gesture and I speak in order to help me make sense and manage the emotion that I'm going through. Yeah. That was my yeah. experience. Yeah. And, I, and I think you pinpointed one of these sort of, you know, truthful ways that people might talk to themselves in life. Because I, I think I, I certainly think like, I mean, perhaps I'm a bit of a skeptic in that, like, before I read this chapter in depth, I was like, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that talk to myself, you know, like, I just don't really do it. Um, but my wife, on the other hand, goes around the house and I think she's talking to me, but now she's, she's talking to herself. That's how she processes things. Um, so like, I was like thinking for me, right, you know, a challenge would be how, how do I get myself in the realm of, of feeling like I'm truthfully, realistically talking to myself? Because she mentions several examples in the book of going around and sorting out your groceries or, 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 or whatever as you go around the house. She, she even says she, she looks in the mirror and says how gorgeous she looks and all this stuff, right? <laughs> so clearly that's something that Uta Hagen feels quite comfortable you know, with. And she even mentions that these sorts of things aren't really worth doing as you're talking to yourself exercise. They're like easy stuff you do anyway. Right. It's not really something I, I do, but what I appreciate from her is like, she, she mentions psychologically why we might talk to ourselves. And it's so interesting. I, you know, this past week, week and a bit, as I've been going around doing my, you know, usual business, I've noticed so many other people are, are sitting talking to themselves, like in my workplace. Like I've passed several people who are just like talking to themselves as they're doing their thing. They're like, their I've become more, yeah, I've become more aware of it. It's totally a realistic, truthful thing that people talk to themselves, you know. So she, she mentioned, why do we talk to ourselves? To gain control over our circumstances when we feel a bit out of control yes. and maybe do it to comfort ourselves. That makes sense. That makes yes. sense to uh, cope with the boredom of a routine or a tedious task. Like if we're a little... People talk like, to themselves oh. when they're waiting. You know, like you're at a bus stop yeah. you're waiting, you're waiting for the, you know, the subway to come and people start talking to themselves, you know. Right. What time? What time is taking or something, yeah? yeah. Um, and um, to cope with being rattled by time 
or other pressures like frustration or or emotional problems like um and then when I started to think about those things, then I was like, I can hang my hat on that. Like, I, I, I can get with that. Like, actually, I feel like, yeah, I probably would have times where I just haven't noticed in the past where I, I have broken uh, talking to myself and muttering to myself. And that. <laughs> yeah. so, you just made me think of, uh, I'm, I'm going to use uh, proper terminology. Uh, I, so I was at home uh, and I was on the telly. I was watching a, a proper football match and uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I couldn't understand why the uh, the referee was not blowing the whistle. The game was over, right? The 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 added time had like three minutes, and it was like six minutes. I'm like, what is happening? And so I'm I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to the ref, you know, and I, and I'm all like, blow the whistle already? What's you know? So yeah, time time management. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, right? Like like so, so for me. <clears throat> Because, like we mentioned, right, I may present an exercise this evening of, of talking to myself. And I do have those circumstances and stuff. Like, um, the, and, and, and I don't want to push it, you know, because, like, naturally, I don't feel like I, I do talk to myself. So I, I think, why, why don't we do this, Jared, right? We can, we can place a pin in it for now. I'll, I'll do some exploration, like Uta Hagen, like, recommends, you know, with the talking to yourself exercise. And I'll, 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 I'm not going to push it. I'm not, I'm not going to, like make myself talk to myself or anything like that but i'm going to give myself a set of circumstances that leads to these things psychologically you know like um and i have a given circumstance to be able to do the task and yeah. stuff and um yeah like I, i'll see it in, in in the the studio scenario of two guys talking and then, and then come back and talk about it i'll sh yeah I'll, I'll share my experiences and, and how it was and yeah. um yeah i i think um you're you're, like you're a skeptic you're, you're you're saying that you're skeptical about it and it it's reminding me of, so I, earlier today, I was watching the video that I said um, that, you know, they posted mm -hmm. on YouTube uh, of it. And um, Uta Hagen was telling the story of um, an actor that was auditing the class um, when they were doing the talking to yourself exercise, got up in the middle of, you know, uh, of the talk back part and went on stage and, and started saying, this is ridiculous. This is all for a show. Pe people don't talk to themselves. And she said, look, I, you know, uh, thank you. Uh, you're an auditor, so you're not really supposed to be, um, you know, coming and, and speaking. You're not, you know, one of the actors working. Um, you know, thank you for being here, but, you know, kindly go sit, sit back down. And she said that that actor sat back down and for the remainder of the class that he was auditing was sitting there talking to himself. And was literally talking to himself the entire time. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so great. What a great things. Um, and Joanne saying she she talks to herself regularly. So hey Joanne, I need to take a leaf out of your book, I think. And just be <laughs> yeah, just be a normal person that goes around talking to themselves. Um, but I'm sure I do it. I'm sure I do. I just don't notice that, right? So I'll come back for next week, Jared. But, um, but hey, as always, we did thank you very today, much. Yeah we, yeah, we got through four. Well, I'm at four or five. What it, so next week, or I mean, in, in two weeks on the next session, we're going to get to uh, exercise eight, conditioning forces. Chapter exercise nine, which is history, and ten, which is character action. Yeah. Um, just so before Joanne, I drop Joanne off, has a my... question. What, what was Joanne's question yeah. earlier? She said, "Did we cover the?" So Joanne, I, I, if you don't mind, 
Uh, he's sending it to us, to, to Jared or myself. Sorry, you're going to get a tour of my house here because I need to plug in my phone. Um, if you don't mind sending it to us, I believe it was about equity um, in the monologue. And j- just to let you know, Joanne, right? So uh, just everybody, really. Like Jared and I, we, we try our best, like, because we pre-plan these sessions to stick to a certain theme and a certain sort of, um, you know, practitioner or technique or, or like... But we love to hear from everybody. And if you want to send us messages or individual questions and stuff, like s- send it through. We hope to, in a couple of weeks' time, do this, like an Ask Us Anything uh, session as well, right? Because we quite often get asked, asked yeah. questions. But I-, I think it was about equity. I think it was about monologues, Joanne. I can't quite find it at the moment. Um, I'll have a little I'll scroll there. back up and see if I can find Joanne's question. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the kind words, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, here we go. Oh, no. Wow, we've been on a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice scrolling uh, back through all this. Sorry, um, Joanne. Joanne wrote, I'm learning two monologues right now, doing one from Steamy and one from 12. No, it, it was a bit further um, up from that. Jo- Joanne, just uh, retype it. I'm, I'm not seeing it, so maybe it didn't go through. So sorry about that. Yeah, we apologize, um, Joanne. But um, yeah, just so, so everybody knows, we, we're. Like literally, we do this one because we love being on this learning journey. Um, oh, thank you for the kind words. We love that it's your your first time joining us, Momad. Um, and we're, we're every two weeks on a Wednesday. We do these live, um, nine p.m. UK time, four p.m. Eastern time, and whatever you are. Yeah, Momad, um, just to fo- follow either uh, me or or Adam or the two guys talking craft. Um, Instagram account, and we we every two weeks we come on and we um, you know we just sit and chat. Right right now we're smack in the middle of uh, Uta Hagen's book. We've done Meisner before. We'll we'll do a, a whole lot of other stuff coming up to probably do some Eric. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and yeah, get in touch with us. We we love to hear from you guys, and um, we just really value and appreciate. Like <clears throat> it's so humbling. Like I think we we pinpointed Jared that like we've been joined from almost every continent in the world, I think, like on, on this thing. So it's, it's amazing to, to have you join us as well. So, um, yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Anything to add, Jared? Um, so, jo- Joanne, if you're still here and want to post that question, if not, just message um, Adam or me and we'll, uh, we'll make sure to answer it. Um, what else? We good? We were good. And as always, you can listen again to... All of these previous episodes, we're an amazing 22 at the moment. Um, so, yeah, you've got a whole host of stuff to travel back through. If you're listening for the first time, um, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, all, all sorts of podcasting platforms um, that we're available on. Or uh, check out the Instagram TV through Unstoppable Acting Studio to check out like our, our previous episodes at the moment as well. But um, that's where you can find us. And, um, hey, all that's left to say is, Jared, I appreciate you as always, my friend. Thank you. I'm sorry that your face is... Uh, <laughs> I've lost so much blood during the recording of this uh, this evening. I didn't even mention it once. You know, I've just you're, stayed you're quiet a, about the whole thing. You're a man's man. You're really a rugged Scottish man's man. As well. You wouldn't even know I was injured, you know, had it not been for even, the actual visualization of the blood. Gone every, it remind, does it remind you of the film Braveheart? Is that what it reminds you of? Just like... Yeah, just the, the the gore, the blood, the guts. Sure. Yeah. If that, if that yeah, makes you, if that makes you feel good, then yes. 
I'm going. I'm going to need to ring up the the ambulance right now and get get put to hospital. So I hope you appreciate what I went through for two guys talking crap tonight. I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Adam. I'm going to go. I will. Uh, I'll speak with you soon. We'll see you in two weeks, uh, and we'll continue on. And we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely get through the last of these exercises. So then, then maybe um, in addition to uh, to that, we'll plug ahead and we'll get into um, part three, which is uh, the play and the role. So maybe we'll wow. dip our toe. Depending upon how far we get next time, maybe we'll dip our toe into that section as well. Love it, love it, love it. All so right, fun. Yeah, love it. Take okay. care, everyone. Bye. All Bye, the best. Everybody. See you soon. Bye bye. Thanks, Adam.